The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today we go back to our message on the Lord's Supper or the communion service that we began yesterday. You may recall that as part of our Kingdom of God series, we're looking now at Article 7 of the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which deals with baptism and the Lord's Supper. These two ordinances are given to the church as enactments of the gospel message. It's clear that the ingredients of the Lord's Supper point us to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The wine denotes his powerful shed blood, and the unleavened bread points us to his perfect broken body. And after the institution of the Lord's Supper and the conclusion of that communion service, he set the example that we ought to follow in washing one another's feet. Join us today for the conclusion of yesterday's message on the communion service. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
I want to read you a quote I found in doing some research on this from Elder J.H. Oliphant. He, was, he lived from 1846 to 1925. According to the Indiana Baptist Historical Society, he was, and I'm quoting here, he was one of the most useful and able ministers that ever bore the name of Primitive Baptist. Here's what he said. In this bread, I see the body of Jesus, which was beaten and mangled for me. My sins helped to make up his ponderous load that crushed him in the garden and on the cross. Oh, for grace to live without sin, to live faithfully to him, to own him aright. You see, I know we believe here in the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. We believe that once saved, you might say, once saved, always saved, as many put it. We actually believe a modified version of that, Brother Mackey. We believe always saved. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about the new birth. The new birth comes in time, and that's the point where we can truly say that we have been saved in the sense of we now have a vital relationship with God. But be that as it may, people will tell us sometimes that if you believe in that doctrine of preservation, well, you'll just live any way you want to. You'll just do whatever you want to do because you'll, you're going to heaven anyway. But I want to say to you this morning, if that's your attitude, you've got the wrong attitude. Think about what the Lord Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, and he did it for every single sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. Doesn't that inspire us? Shouldn't that inspire us to try to live better? So that, so that those, you know, I can think of so many sins that were on him and, I, and I'm ashamed of all of, the, of all the sin that I put upon him, all the suffering that he did for me. If I can live right in the future, if I can avoid those sins, then I know at least in this moment when I didn't commit that particular sin I was tempted to commit, that he didn't have to suffer for that one. That ponderous load, as Brother Oliphant says, it was my sins that helped to make it up. Oh, this service, this communion service ought to remind us of the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the bread represents. But also, remember, there was the wine. And the wine symbolizes the pure blood of Christ. And by the way, it is wine. It is wine. I'm not going to go through a whole sermon this morning to try to, um, try to prove that I preached on it before. But understand that this was done at the Passover. And the ingredients of the Passover included wine, not grape juice, fermented wine. And there's a reason for that. Now, you, you say, well, Jesus called it fruit of the vine here. And, and some, some will say to you, well, you've got to read wine into the passage. But I want to say, you've got to read grape juice into it too. <laughs> so, so that doesn't get me anywhere. So the Jews understood that passage. The Jews of that day would have understood that passage. If all you ever drank was milk, and I said, drink your beverage... You know what I was talking about. That's all they had in that day was, was fermented wine. The traditional Passover service used at least four cups of wine. Uh, and I, I'm not going to go any further down that road. Just understand that's what we use here at this church. And that's why we use it is because we believe that this wine symbolizes the pure blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has no impurities in it. You know the fermentation process works out those impurities. The leaven is there immediately. That's the, the yeast that, that causes uh, corruption. You know, that's, that's why things uh, rot. That's why things ultimately ferment. And that's what happens with the wine is that the fermentation process works out all of those impurities.
And think about the symbolism. Turn with me back over to Numbers, to Numbers, the 28th chapter. Think about the symbolism that the wine brings to us. Numbers chapter 28. Let's just begin reading. <clears throat> Let's begin reading in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifices made by fire, for a sweet savor unto me, shall ye, shall ye observe to offer unto me in their due season. And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire, which ye shall offer unto the Lord, two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day, in other words, every day, for a continual burnt offering. The one lamb shalt thou offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer at even. And a tenth part of an ephah of flour for a meat offering, mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering, which was ordained in Mount Sinai for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. This is the daily burnt offering that's offered here. Uh, two lambs a day. And we're going to see one in the morning, one at night. But notice what part of that is. The drink offering, the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of a hen for the one lamb. In the holy place thou shalt cause the strong wine to be poured out, uh, to be poured unto the Lord for a drink offering. And the other lamb shalt thou offer it even as the meat offering of the morning and as the drink offering thereof thou shalt make it. Thou shalt offer it a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. This is the daily, twice a day, continual burnt offering. And notice what was part of that. Every, there was a lamb at each offering and there was strong wine, strong wine. So think about this. Remember, this is not just because God is bloodthirsty. These these ancient sacrifices under the Old Testament weren't just because they hated animals and wanted to kill them. It was because God was pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says in uh, John chapter 5 and verse 40, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have everlasting life, but they are they that testify of me. In other words, everything from the scripture of the Old Testament points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. These sacrifices were pointing us to the perfect sacrifice that was necessary for, to, to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Twice a day, every day, the Jews saw the absolute necessity of the shedding of the powerful blood of Christ. The lamb's blood coupled with the strong wine poured out. You see, our redemption, beloved, is free. But it's not cheap. It's not cheap. What did Peter say over in 1 Peter 1, 18? He said, uh, I'm going to turn there and read it. He said, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, those old sacrifices, even silver and gold doesn't, doesn't count. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You see, our... Redemption is wrapped up in the death, the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, I, I understand what many of the songwriters are talking about. I, I get the sentiment when they talk about the power of one drop of Jesus' blood, just one drop of blood. But I want to say to you, beloved, it wasn't just one drop of blood that was necessary. It was the shedding of the life's blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, if he could have just pricked his finger and saved some people, he could have done that. But he had to die. He had to pour it all out on Calvary. He had to die. By the way, it wasn't the scourging. It wasn't the buffeting. It wasn't all the things that we've read about where his body was broken. They didn't just beat the Paschal lamb. They didn't just beat that little Passover lamb. They slew it. And, by, and that's why when we, when we serve the communion, when we observe the communion service, you've got the bread in one place and the wine in another, signifying the separation of the blood from the body, which is the epitome of death. I don't care how, how much life you may think you have in you, when your blood is gone, you have no life. There's nothing they can do when you bleed out. There's nothing they can do to revive you. That's death, and that's what we have here. I want to read you again a passage from Brother Oliphant's writings on this topic. This is what he says, Oh, see in this wine an emblem of his flowing blood. It has quenched the flames of hell. It has washed me as white as snow. It has silenced Sinai's awful roar. It has brought life and immortality to light. And though we are so vile, yet we have redemption through his blood. His blood has sealed the covenant in which eternal life is secured to every heir of God. This, talking about this service, is to be kept up in Zion, that is in the church, till he comes again. It is to be perpetual. The communion service consists of the bread representing the broken body and the wine representing the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now I want to move on to one other thing that we do every time we observe the Lord's Supper. I suppose there are some that would say this is part of the ordinance. I don't believe it's part of the ordinance, but I believe it's part of the practice that we should observe when we do observe this ordinance. Turn with me over to John chapter 13. And notice, I want you to notice what the Lord has given us in this simple, profound service. He's given us the only depiction we need of where our salvation lies. And I want to ask you something. Where in this service is man? What is there for man? There is no thing other than the bread and the wine on this table when we commemorate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because only in the blood and body of Jesus do we have our eternal salvation. But you remember what we said earlier when he said, over in Luke, with desire, I have desired to observe this with you, to, to eat this meal with you. He was giving this to the church. This is not for the world, it's for the church. He was giving it for the kingdom of God on this earth, which you and I are here in this building today. He was giving it to a people who he knew are sin-cursed and struggle daily with sin. And so after, notice in chapter 13, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Love should permeate everything we do in this church. Love should permeate the baptismal service. Love should permeate the communion service. But notice here that the Lord loved his own unto the end. And it says in verse 2, And supper being ended... The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So Judas wasn't there. 
It says, Jesus, knowing that, this, that his, the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God. Now, at this point, we're seeing the elevated Christ. We're seeing the, uh, the glory of Christ, how important he is to this whole, uh, this whole equation, how that he is the, the most essential aspect of anything that, that is done in, in, in the salvation process and that he has completed that. He's shown us that through the, the bread and the wine. But then I want you to notice what he did after the supper. He ariseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. This is the same Jesus to whom the Father had given all things into his hands. This is the same Jesus who, after Calvary, would be seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the same Jesus that came from the right hand of the Father and condescended to come down to earth. And yet, he lays aside his garments, girds himself with a towel, after showing them that his body and blood are the only thing sufficient to set aside and to put away the sins of his people. He gets down on his knees and he begins to wipe his feet, he begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. You know, again, I started off this service saying to you, how would you come up with a commemoration service? What would you do? What would I do? It'd probably be some kind of an elaborate service. There'd be organs and orchestras and, and lights and cameras and action and all that. But uh, you know what the Lord Jesus Christ did? He said, I want to keep it simple. Here is my body and my blood and now I'm going to show you how you'll make it in this life I'm going to show you how you can abide together in peace and harmony in my kingdom you're going to have to get down and wash each other's feet I'm going to give you the example now I realize that's a demeaning thing in some ways that's something that you know if somebody came up off the street and said hey man wash my feet I'd be like wait I'm too important to do that I got too much else. You know, wipe your own feet, you know. But that's not what we were commanded to do in the kingdom of God. He said, Peter came to him said, Lord, if thou wash my feet, he said, what I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. None of these disciples got it at that, at that point. And Peter, being Peter, he, he, he goes too far. You know, Peter's always in one ditch. And then he overcorrects to the other ditch. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I get Peter. You know, Peter's over here. Oh, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And he said, he said, I'm, I'm going to, he said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And then Peter said, okay, well, just don't wash just my feet. Wash everything. He's over in the other ditch. <laughs> and, and Jesus is explaining to him that, first of all, your eternal redemption is solely in my hands. If I wash you not, you don't have a part in me. But then he says, after that we've figured out that the Lord is the one that saves us, he says, look, once you've been washed, he said, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you're clean, but not all. In other words, he's saying that you're now one of my children. I've taken care of that for you, and, and, but in this life, you're going to get your feet dirty. They would have understood this back then because they had public baths. 
And they would go to these public baths and they would bathe and then they would, uh, they would walk home and their bodies would be clean, but their feet would have gotten dirty on their walk. And so when they got home, they would have to wash their feet again, but not their whole bodies, just their feet. And that's what he's saying to us here. He's saying that in this life, you're going to get your feet dirty. You're going to continue to be a sinner. You're going to continue to commit sins. You're going to, you're going to struggle in this life. But you've been washed and you're every whit whole. We just want to wash, I just washing your feet here, you see. But more than that, he was giving this to them to do to one another. Later on in this chapter, he's going to, he's going to tell us, I think it's verse 34, that he's going to give them a new commandment that they love one another. Well, how do we do it? We do it by washing one another's feet. Now, literally, we do this at the end of the communion service here at this church, and I believe we should do it because he says in verse, uh, uh, verse 12, he says, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. He knew who he was. He knew who he was to you and to me. But he says this, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, I've said this before, but when my daddy looked at me and said, Son, you ought to go do this, he didn't mean it was up to me to decide whether I wanted to. <laughs> he meant go now and do it. <laughs> Jesus said, You ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He goes on, as I said later, and says, Here's the commandment. This is how you'll survive in the church. This is how you'll make it as a church and not go uh, completely divided in every way. You, if you'll wash one another's feet, he said, you're to love one another as I have loved you. And this is how people will know who you are. Now, I hope we're, I hope we're right on doctrine. I believe we are. I don't mean in every single way. I mean, we, no, nobody's got it all together. I hope we've, we've got the theology where it needs to be, especially on salvation. I hope we've got the practice right. But I'll tell you this. The Lord didn't say they're going to know you by how right you are with practice or how correct you are on theology. He said they're going to know you by how you love one another. And the best way to, to demonstrate that in a symbolic way is to wash one another's feet. I'll tell you, it is hard for me to be mad at you when you're down on your knees washing my feet in that sweet service that we do. It's hard for me to be mad at you when I'm down on my knees washing your feet. Now, I know we don't do this literally every Sunday, and he didn't command for us to, but he commanded for us to do this to show the attitude that we should have every day. And that means that when you do something to offend me, I overlook it. Because you know what? I remember that Jesus washed my feet, and therefore I ought to wash you. Washing feet just means that we overlook, we we long suffer we forbear and we forgive even as god for christ's sake forgave us that's what it means one last thing and we'll close over in first corinthians 11 he mentions the fact that there's a way to eat and drink unworthily notice in first corinthians 11 Verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Well, I've known people that refused to take of the Lord's Supper because they just didn't feel like they were worthy. 
The truth of the matter is not one of us is worthy. But he didn't say you can't eat and drink if you're not worthy. What he said was you shouldn't eat and drink unworthily. See, the one is an adjective describing the person. Unworthy is an adjective describing the person. Unworthily is an adverb describing the action. So how is it that we could eat and drink unworthily? Notice on down he says, verse 28, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Not understanding what it is we have in Christ. Not discerning that our sole hope of eternal redemption and eternal salvation lies in the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ plus nothing. You see, when we don't judge it properly and we don't make a distinction between this service and something else, then we're eating and drinking unworthily. And that kind of brings us to one of the reasons we participate in or we practice here close communion, which we'll talk about in another service, the Lord willing. So here we have uh, the communion service as given to us through Scripture. And I want to I leave you with this thought. <clears throat> And this comes from Brother Oliphant again. This whole service, including the foot washing portion that follows it, should point us to the spirit we should have in dealing with church, with the church and with our brethren and sisters, and just in general, how we should approach the kingdom of God. This is what he says. He says, we should seek the same patient temper that he exhibited on the cross and all through his life. We are often so petulant that if our brother does a wrong, we forsake the church with all its service on that account. This was not the temper of Christ. Though Peter denied him, he still loved him. And though the wicked ones nailed him to the cross, he prayed for them. And so we should earnestly seek that same temper and faithfulness that he had. If you make me mad, I don't have the right to leave this church, forsake it, and quit coming. If I make you mad, that's not where we're to be. What if the Lord forsook us whenever we got crossed up with him? Oh, that would be awful, wouldn't it? What if he got halfway up Calvary and said, you know what? That old Glendon Junkin, I'm just done with him. <laughs> that old Chris McCool, I'm just, I, that's too much. Have you ever been to the point where you say, well, I'm fed up to here. I can't take it anymore. Praise God that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't do that. And that's one thing I always think about. When we come to this table of the communion service, I hope we'll understand that and enjoy that the way the Lord intended for us to enjoy it as a commemoration of his death and his burial on behalf of his children. I appreciate your kind attention. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. 
We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.